we started doing this 10 years ago. So it was not so early adopted by dental practices in the beginning, but we really found that product market fit. What were the use cases that were working? And then, yeah, when it was, you know, quarantine, we were busier than ever because practices suddenly saw this broader application and use of teledentistry. Welcome to Startup Health Now, the podcast where we celebrate the entrepreneurs and innovators reimagining the future of health. I'm Logan Plaster. Thanks to COVID-19, the telemedicine industry saw an unprecedented boom over the last two years. Millions of people who thought they'd never see their doctor over a video call were introduced to that idea and discovered it was often pretty convenient. This phenomenon has gotten plenty of airtime. But what about teledentistry? Of course, you have to see your dentist in person if you want to get your teeth cleaned, but it turns out there's a whole world of virtual remote dental care that has exploded in the last two years, following the same trend line as telemedicine. At the forefront of this movement is my guest today, Brant Herman, the CEO and co-founder of Mouthwatch. This company, which Startup Health backed in 2015, has designed an intraoral camera that can help visualize what's going on in the patient's mouth and send that information to a remote specialist. They've also built Teledent, a leading platform for managing teledentistry practices. For this work, Mouthwatch has won a host of awards, and for two years in a row, they've been on Inc.'s list of fastest-growing private companies. But what I think is even cooler than the awards they've received are the ones they've given out. Brandt and his team at Mouthwatch award their own teledentistry innovation awards to folks who are using these new tools, like their camera and their platform, and figuring out creative ways to extend those services into the communities that need them most. In other words, Mouthwatch is incredibly innovative, but they're also supporting and enabling an innovation ecosystem within dentistry. We'll get into all that in our interview, hear about the company's journey, and talk about the critical role of oral health in holistic health. Stick around. Brett Herman, CEO and co-founder of Mouthwatch. Thank you for joining me today. Yeah, my pleasure to be here. Thanks, Logan. So you're a leader in teledentistry, and I think it's fair to say that a lot of people don't get what teledentistry is. So I want to kind of start out uh, with that. And the, people understand, thanks to COVID, seeing their primary care doctor over a, a Zoom-type interface. But I think it's fair to say a lot of people think, okay, dentist. Uh, I still have to go in there and see them in person. So the idea of virtual care making its way to dentistry is still a new idea. So start by schooling us on what teledentistry is all about. Yeah, so that uh, confusion or disconnect had been in the dental world for a while, right? When we launched our company and started talking about teledentistry, a lot of providers still were stuck with, I need to have fingers in a mouth and a drill to do the services I provide. Um, what we've seen with teledentistry kind of pre-pandemic, and I don't want to make it a BC AD world here, but there was definitely pre-pandemic teledentistry, which was more about extended workforce models, allowing hygienists to go out into school settings, nursing home settings, mobile programs, and take the most expensive part of dental care delivery being the dentist and shift that provider to virtual. So you could have programs that saw patients in 
rural areas, in vulnerable population settings, in access to care challenging areas, and send the hygiene team out there, use them to provide preventive services, and really loop those patients into a dental home. So, which is a very, which is a very powerful idea when you think about bringing access to dentistry to low access regions. For sure. I mean, it was a huge problem. There's numbers around, you know, 60% of people aren't seeing the dentist every year. So you've got a high out of pocket cost. Dental insurance works very differently from medical insurance. You've got vulnerable populations that it's hard to take that two hours out of a day, let alone get your kid out of school to get them into a dental setting, especially when you're far away from dental care. Um, so that was really the original use case that we found. We dug into practice acts and supported hygiene and dental teams in understanding how could telehealth play a role in supervision of my team and really looping not only patients and providers in, but getting a parent to see visually what was wrong with their kid's mouth and connecting them into a dental office. So not only did we kind of expand the footprint and allow programs to reach more patients, I think we had a good experience with our imaging hardware tied to our teledentistry solution to activate patients, right? To get parents engaged, to get adult children of seniors and geriatric patients um, to accept treatment and get the work that they needed done. Then the pandemic hit, suddenly a lot less head scratching, right? You close all dental offices in the United States and only for emergency triage and emergency care and suddenly Teledent was there, right? Teledentistry was allowing practices to conduct what in dental coding is a limited evaluation, right? So a problem-focused evaluation, the exam. When you go to the dentist and your hygienist does all the preventive care and then the dentist pops in and is able to kind of look and assess, is there a restorative need? Can I diagnose any caries or concerns? That part was being shifted to virtual. So we had patients who were very willing to have a telehealth consultation. We had practices who had a requirement to do it now because they needed to do COVID screenings. They needed to triage if the appointment merited the risk at the time of coming into the office. So we saw much greater adoption. We saw insurance companies reimbursing providers for services conducted via teledentistry. And that really transformed everything. A lot of those changes have lasted. Um, and we saw that kind of as not only the genesis of patient and provider teledentistry gaining adoption, but it opened the eyes within practices and oral health programs toward all of the other ways telehealth can solve problems mm. and streamline care and improve the patient journey within dental care. Question, how did you see that teledentistry model, that workflow kind of take hold logistically? Because I'm still not aware of, of how that hub and spoke model uh, works, where there's maybe a, a, hy a hygienist outside of the clinic sending imagery back to the doctor. So just kind of how, how did that flesh out? So in that kind of use case, you would find mobile programs or a hygienist could go with a real limited setup all the way to as light as a screening program, right? Just illumination, an intraoral camera, and documenting a patient's oral health condition. And then by sending that to the dentist, looping in the right guardians or caregivers for that patient, you could understand the oral health of a patient, identify issues that required treatment, 
and then more efficiently schedule them for coming in, yeah. right? I think the idea of screenings pre-teledentistry, pre-imaging was really kind of a hygienist maybe making some notes on a piece of paper that the patient should see a dentist, and then it's on the patient, right? The burden is back to the patient to follow up and make that appointment. Yeah. So I think we tried to close the loop of one, engaging the patient in that process of not only understanding the need, but making it really easy to coordinate care for the patient to get into an office. On that point, you made an interesting uh, comment a second ago about the ability to show a parent visually the issues that their child might be facing. What role does that education play in this process? Oh, it's huge. We see, I mean, you show, In dental terminology, you might see a bombed out tooth, right? A ton of decay that's close to an extraction. And if someone's not complaining about pain and it's just a visual and something that's hard to see, that's really hard for caregivers to act on until it reaches that threshold, which we hopefully all don't know, but of pain being a primary motivator for dental care. Mm. So if I can see and I can send mom a picture of what the cavity actually looks like as opposed to saying there may be a cavity yeah right and what's interesting too is because of practice acts for hygiene you can't have a hygienist say it's a cavity right they might say it's an area of concern but you have to have a doctor a dentist do the diagnosis interesting so by visually communicating with the patient one that's important and then you've given a way for the dentist to actually make basically that diagnosis that is going to be confirmed when they're coming into the office. It, so it's an interesting model, especially compared to telemedicine. Telemedicine, I might be able to call in the prescription. I might be able to call in some level of treatment for you. Typically, teledentistry is not providing that ultimate treatment, mm. right? It's triaging more appropriately. It's shifting certain types of appointments to virtual, which we can talk about in a little bit. But that's really the difference between I think one, that role of provider to provider, getting programs to have the capability to reach more patients and bring appropriately um, evaluated and triaged patients into a brick and mortar location. Yeah. So expand that footprint and then bring in the restorative um, into the office. And then as it's expanded into, how do I more efficiently run a practice where telehealth is a part of what we do? Yeah, it's a really interesting idea that this visual representation of what's going on, this way of educating visually, uh, doesn't just help you in the field, but even in in the clinic itself, the ability to maybe project up onto a screen and show someone what's going on using your camera is a way to give better care no matter where you're, you're at because you're educating, you're bringing somebody along, you're inviting them into the process, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, our primary revenue stream right now is from our imaging hardware. So we've got a goal of getting an intraoral camera into every operatory in not only the mobile programs and the outreach programs, but primarily into dental clinics. So we work with DSOs, which are dental service organizations that have multiple practices under one umbrella, uh, with school clinics, dental clinics, individual practices. So when you are sitting there, whether you're communicating digitally in the chair to the dentist who's chair side or over miles, the impact of visualizing oral health concerns, that's the data that really helps patients get an understanding of one, their current oral health situation, but also is more impactful, right? If I'm, 
it's hard to evaluate if you're looking at a if you're going to a cardiologist and you're looking at um, an EKG that's data that's really hard for a patient to understand it has to be interpreted an x-ray is similar that has to be interpreted by a clinician to explain to a patient but if I show you a picture on a 32 inch monitor that's high def it's gonna click you're gonna see inflammation you're gonna see a lesion you're gonna see what decay looks like and you're more likely to act on that recommendation from the clinician and we get dentists all the time who love it like they're clinicians they don't want to be salespeople, and they don't want to be perceived yeah. as selling treatment yeah but when it when it sells itself it's basically showing you right in high resolution on a monitor this is not what your state of your natural tooth should be it helps everyone patients act on treatment dentists hygienists are able to really not only get the treatment done but we've talked to so many hygienists where suddenly by visualizing the health concern patients act on home care improvements mm -hmm. and right the lying about how many times you floss starts changing yeah. and how you're doing home care starts improving that makes a lot of sense okay let's shift and talk about the the technology and the platform you've got the intraoral camera we talked about as well as the telemedicine platform so let's start with the tech the hardware so we're one company with two discrete product lines, but they play nicely together. So intraoral cameras are an imaging device that allows any dental office, any clinician, even non-dental providers. So it could be a nurse practitioner or anyone out in the field to examine the oral cavity, tooth surfaces, all areas really clearly, really efficiently, uh, document whether it's live video or document still images and transmit them or save them right into their x-ray software so they can now look and have a bite wing and they can also show you a picture right and it's fascinating to see because patients won't understand the cavity that they're seeing on their bite wing x-ray but they will see it in their photograph now quick question what makes this camera uh, special to the dental industry why not just get a get a camera of a similar size yeah, it's hard to stick a SLR or digital SLR into your mouth to get back by molars. So our camera is shaped like a wand and it can get back into all surfaces of the tooth. It's really light. What we did in disrupting the industry was came out with a camera that was $299. Okay. It got a little bit cheaper. A lot that had been out there was $1,500, $3,000. So practices were spending to get one and we just found this was so much more effective when every chair, every operatory had it. And that's where we've been able to see a lot of growth with our cameras. We're in a lot of the leading DSOs, a lot of the leading FQHCs, health clinics, schools, because we made it really affordable and high quality to put it at every chair, show every patient. If you're only doing it on that high-end cosmetic case, yeah. you're losing out on that value of documentation and patient education. Um, so that's what we've really seen success with with the intro camera. Just make it really easy to use, support it really well, and make sure it integrates with whatever system dentists are using. It sounds like you've had some decent traction. I mean, how many folks are using this or have it in their offices? Uh, we're probably in about 35,000 practices now with our intraoral cameras. Um, I'd say more than half of the largest DSOs in the country are using them. Um, so we've really seen growth year over year, double-digit growth. Um, we were named one of Inc. 5000's fastest growing private companies two years in a row. That's really driven by hardware growth. And what's been great for us as a company is that helps facilitate um, 
expansion and growth of the teledentistry platform into new areas where we started doing this 10 years ago. So it was not so early adopted by dental practices in the beginning, but we really found that product market fit. What were the use cases that were working? And then, yeah, when it was, you know, quarantine, we were busier than ever Mm. because practices suddenly saw this broader application and use of teledentistry. Okay, so that's the hardware, that's the intraoral camera um, in wide usage. Then you've got the software side, which I think is called Teledent. Yeah, so Teledent is our teledentistry platform. Uh, We roll that out. It allows for really telehealth optimized for dental care. So it allows for digital workflows within a practice from patient engagement and patient portal, allowing a patient to kind of request a consultation with a dentist to communication between dental teams, internal to an office, better referrals to a specialist, all that kind of loop in everyone on that care journey. So we looked at kind of traditional models of a new patient consult. If I can't get in for a couple of weeks, I'm just waiting. Now I can have a quick video consult with the dentist or someone from the office, make sure like their needs are understood, my appointment is scheduled appropriately. Um, If there is an emergency, there's more information around my appointment need. That's not just me describing on a telephone call what it might be. and then improving specialists and medical dental integration. So now you take an intraoral camera, you connect it to Teledent, you could have a nurse practitioner or a pediatrician or an oncologist or an OBGYN, anyone who's identifying a patient where there's a benefit to a dental referral, they can now refer that patient to a dental practice. So it's really created this broader foothold for expanding dental care into settings that may not traditionally have access to a dentist. There's not a hygienist co-located in a lot of those settings. So we created this ability for kind of virtual co-location into a broader healthcare audience, and then also expanded the capabilities and efficiencies within a big group, right? In many ways, it feels like you are part of the move to define what teledentistry is going on, uh, going forward, and teledent is a piece of that. And so as you've designed the program and it's grown over the last couple of years, I wonder if you have changed your thinking or if you've come to new realizations about what will teledentistry really be going forward? How has the process of building teledent sort of educated you about the future of this industry? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I think the number of pivots and evolutions we've just seen, I mean, what we launched, you know, eight years ago has evolved into a very different product. And I think the market has changed, the adoption, the use cases have really changed. Um, If it wasn't for the pandemic, I think we may have been a little bit longer in getting to kind of a telehealth model for dental care. Um, But I think that accelerated providers' adoption and recognition of dental care has aspects that can shift to a virtual care model. So we have a group, they've got 85 practices in the Pacific Northwest. They've been able to shift almost 7% of their appointments to virtual appointments. So that's a post-operative appointment, right? Checking in on you after you had that extraction or you had a surgical procedure, Uh, an emergency consult where maybe only three of seven of 10 of those patients have to actually come in. Three of them don't have to. Can you call in, if I go in and I need an antibiotic before, so swelling can go down before I get treatment, 
previously I had to go do the in-person appointment, get the prescription, then come back again, right? And if I needed, let's say an extraction or a procedure, then I'd have to come back again. So we're really removing some of these appointments that take up a lot of time. We're trying to create more efficiency in a practice and save them cost of turning a room over, PPE for the entire team that's gonna see that patient. And patients love it. They are very used to doing a meeting virtually. So can I shift that one appointment to virtual unless there's a problem, then I know I'm gonna to have to come in. And I think that's the stuff we've seen doctors open their eyes to of, it's not everything, right? I can do a lot of dentistry with my patient. It's not always to my patient, sure, right? And I can improve the care conversation and I can loop in my hygiene team to do a virtual follow-up so that they're checking in on home care for a patient who's got severe periodontal disease, right? So we can start treating dental care as part of whole patient care and seeing like, look, this is something we wanna manage over time. Maybe you're a diabetic. We wanna get you in more regularly, but I also wanna check in on you and make sure that your home care is not leaving it till, okay, you're coming in every six months. Inflammation's gonna skyrocket. You're gonna have a bad outcome. Let's check in more regularly. If you need to come in for an additional cleaning or periodontal treatment, we'll get you in. But I can really bring my practice into the life of my patients without being there just as you know, the fun reminder for a recall postcard that you're gonna get right. or a text message for a recall appointment or pain or cosmetics being the only reasons I'm really motivated to go see the doctor. You touched briefly on changes in insurance. How do you see insurance coverage uh, working with teledentistry moving forward? So pre-pandemic, we saw mostly Medicaid was covering teledentistry consults. So the examination was being covered. And then there are two codes that the American Dental Association came out with to cover uh, synchronous or asynchronous telehealth. Um, Medicaid in a lot of states was paying that. The challenge with Medicaid is sometimes it's limited to just children's Medicaid. There's not adult dental Medicaid coverage. Um, but they were innovators and really saw the use cases of that for addressing vulnerable populations, rural populations, you know, ways to connect more patients to care. More and more commercial payers started covering at least limited evaluations. Um, they may or may not cover the actual modality of teledentistry, but more and more are starting to see other value in that. So certain types of exams, certain types of oral health education, care coordination, which is helpful when you're starting to move toward a medical dental integration model, right? Where can a dentist be compensated for that? And dentists are compensated differently than medical providers. So there's not a time-based consult. It's a procedure-specific consult. Yeah. So that was a real obstacle for a lot of dentists to get their head around. And you know, I think we're seeing a much broader understanding of, I wasn't billing for that before. So if I'm not billing for it, like a post-op consult, let me shift that to virtual because I'm gonna save $200 on that appointment time. And I'm gonna free up my office for more valuable procedures, so to speak. And then I think an understanding of, okay, there are things that I can do to better help my patient, to engage with them, check on the status of an emergency, um, make their appointment more effective and more appropriately timed. And I can get reimbursed for that now. So I think we've seen kind of that, you know, we hate to see a pandemic be a reason for increased adoption and awareness and understanding of the value of something, but it really has done that. And we're starting to see big groups 
start recognizing that it's not this public health use case anymore, right? This is a great business decision toward increasing how many patients and how efficient and effective I can be in my practice while also marketing my practice better, right? Yeah. We'll, we'll talk to you even from the comfort of your home. Or if I give you a big treatment plan, if it is a cosmetic case, it's great for someone to have that conversation from the comfort of their couch, not half numb with a bib on in the back of a dental chair, but have the conversation at home with someone who might help support their decision on a video conference, sharing a screen, going through a treatment plan. Um, we've just seen a lot better adoption and acceptance of treatment when it's presented that way. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. There's so many ways that this supports you know, dental practices and your average patient. Uh, but I wonder if you could also just speak, just since this is so integrated into what Startup Health uh, is all about, just that bigger global impact of opening up access to oral health. A lot of people forget this connection that oral health is, is health, is so connected, so holistically connected to the rest of our health. And to improve this area is to really start to break down some barriers to, to other important um, sectors in health. Yeah, it's a big goal for us. And I think when we started, it was more, let's try to figure out the dental audience and understand how to present this to dental uh, providers. It's become key for us that if there's a healthcare touch point and we can connect dentistry into that and oral health into that medical touch point, this is the technology that allows you to do it. So I think there was a really growing, there's a growing body of evidence supporting systemic health and oral systemic links about cardiology and endocrinology, diabetics, um, the need for treatment or periodontal treatment before radiation or chemotherapy. There's all of these touch points and you might have the most enlightened medical provider who knows the importance of it. But what would happen is at the peak of their education, unless they were one of those you know, fringe practices a medical practice that had a, a hygiene chair in their office, which we've heard of, but they're rare, there was no way to bridge that gap, mm. right? The burden fell to the patient because that dentist was not part of the healthcare system that they were getting cancer treatment or um, uh, anything on their medical side. So this became that bridge that we saw, okay, we could get a referral here, right? We could collaborate with a local network of dentists and improve patient outcomes by connecting the diabetic patient to dental treatment. It's connecting the pregnant mom to dental treatment. So all of those different ways, I think are becoming a much bigger um, area for us to be able to be the technology that facilitates it while supporting, I think, that growing body of knowledge and research that shows this whole patient care is where things are going. Value-based care is crucial and interesting examples were times that you saw that happening. FQHCs that have dental are able to do that, right? Because they're typically, they might be more on a value-based care payment model, but they also have dental and medical under one roof. Hmm. So what we started to, you also saw commercial carriers that offered dental benefits and medical benefits start seeing the correlation. So if you got diagnosed with diabetes, suddenly your copay on preventive dental care was eliminated because they knew we're saving $3,500 a year on this patient by covering the cost on their dental side for improving their treatment. So I think that's the kind of stuff that's gonna take a much bigger foothold 
and it's not going to be the silo of dental and the silo of medical and never the twain shall meet except in you know very advanced forward thinking practices yeah. and you know medical programs it's very interesting and and very promising for for the future of more holistic care so last question for you it's a sort of a bigger picture question you know you are running a, a startup you're within the startup health portfolio um, but you're, you are sort of special in that you have seen, you know, double digit growth. You have really been out front, uh, growing rapidly. And I feel like there's some lessons that you may have learned that other entrepreneurs who are maybe just getting started out can learn from. So I'm just kind of wondering, looking back at the last two years of, of rapid growth, what are some of the, what are some lessons you've learned as a leader, um, moving from that early build phase? to now a growth phase where maybe you're thinking more about um, scale and growing your personnel and some new challenges. Yeah, I think uh, there's, it's a great question. I mean, I think there's one approach of sticking with, you know, uh, sticking with what you see as a need and an opportunity despite some challenges and also being flexible enough to work to really what's being put in front of you. I think our original model had to evolve into a provider to provider model for teledentistry. That's where we saw a need and we saw adoption. And then we had started moving toward the patient facing side of things, you know, in the months before the pandemic, and then it just rapidly accelerated. Quick question, I think quick question, Brent. Is there anything that you do as a leader to make sure that you create an environment where you can be flexible, where you can pivot. You sort of described a product that really had to evolve. Um, I think I have that mindset and I think I try to find my team. I mean, you know, we'll joke about, look, if you can't wing it, like there's, <laughs> it's gonna be a challenging work environment for you because we want you to be able to, one, follow your instincts and follow what the market's telling you, but driven by kind of this broader goal. And I think, what I'm proud to say is I think across our team, we're now at 21 employees, everyone's got that feeling that we're really moving the needle on care. We're not helping one practice do a little bit better. We're really trying to get the needle to swing. And I think day in, day out, it's little wins and big wins where that comes to light, that we're seeing a program with 200 practices is coming on board, or we're getting interest from a university system tied with medical settings and dental settings. Um, I think also we've got a pretty virtual team, right? We have offices in New Jersey, but team, you know, employees all over the country and just really being flexible with them, right? That I trust in what they're gonna accomplish. And if they do it at 11 a.m. or if they do it at 9 p.m., whatever meets their needs and if they have that balance, we did try a lot to encourage people to take time off Right? I think a lot of people dove into their work during the pandemic because there was no barrier if you were working from home sure. of um, just spending more time on something. So forcing people to kind of take some time and go for that walk, take it two hours, like go play with your kids after school and then come back. And if there's anything you have to do, check in then. But we've tried to keep really open channels. Um, I try to check in with them individually and have also really grown of that level of kind of letting directors run their team, right? Yeah. And kind of build kind of a mini culture within that. And that has been aligned within how we try to operate as an organization. But 
I love it. I think, yeah, when you're growing a company like this, you can't, uh, you're not going to have the 5,000 employee manual and processes. Yeah. And honestly, it's been challenging as we go through that growth of kind of how do we implement a process that that jives yeah. with everyone, right? That it's not processed for the sake of it. Yeah, and it's not easy to uh, give that control over to directors when it's been your baby, you know, when you, yeah. you really birthed this a decade ago and have been working and working and working to bring it to fruition. But it sounds like from your recent growth that you've been able to do that uh, to some degree and, and you've seen the success <laughs> from it. <laughs> I mean, it definitely took some lessons in, okay, you're micromanaging, like, like you gotta let go. And then you see success and you see people thrive, you know, in the role and having that autonomy um, and seeing success from programs motivates. Uh, but yeah, it's definitely a challenge. I think the evolution of a company as it grows, finding the right strategic partners that really believe in what we're doing. I mean, we've been able to, you know, have a fundraising round with really a well aligned investor who has that benefit of not only capital, but really expanding the reach of what we're trying to do. And I think at the end of the day, that's what it comes down to for us is we wanna make sure we're getting more patients the care that they need and facilitating it in the space that we can. And I think that's what's really exciting about what's to come for us is the integration of care, you know, bringing dental into that same level and removing those barriers and silos um, between care settings. Well, you're at a really fascinating moment with Mouthwatch, and I, I can't wait to see what you do uh, in the rest of 2022. And you just reminded me that I need to go see the dentist. <laughs> Brent, I uh, love how you're leading your company and what you're doing to open up access to care for so many people. Uh, this is exciting technology, and I'm really proud to be a part of it at Startup Health. So thank you for your time. Yeah, thanks so much. Great talking to you. Take care. Take care. Thanks for listening to Startup Health Now. Startup Health invests in health transformers from around the world who are committed to achieving audacious health moonshots. If you want to learn how you can join this community of entrepreneurs, or if you want to connect with one of our 380 companies, go to startuphealth.com. If you'd like to learn how you can invest in our Health Moonshot Impact Fund in collaboration with AngelList, go to healthmoonshots.com. Thanks for listening to Startup Health Now. We'll be back next week.